Thank you for engaging today's message with Wind River Community Church. Our prayer for you is that you will encounter Christ and grow in your relationship with Him. May this encourage you in connecting with other people who follow Jesus as well as knowing you are not alone. If you would like prayer, please text us at 307-240-8742 or if you would like more information about this program or past messages, visit our website at windriverchurch.com. I look forward to hearing what God is doing in your life. And now, here is today's message. Before I get into the, um, my talk, I just want to hit up this one little fact that I hate change weekend, time change weekend. Um, we live on a half mile dirt road that gets covered in snow and has all kinds of stuff on it. And, and I've, I've really been playing, um, you know, the Russian roulette with my wife's car this year because I haven't put the snow tires on it. We went through November, didn't need it, went through December, went through January, February, and then, of course, March. And so um, she doesn't want to get up early in the morning and come with me to, the, to here on Sunday mornings because uh, I leave our house right, right around 5.30 to come here. This morning, I drove her car down, so she had the snow tires to get out. And as I was driving down the hill, I looked over and saw the clock in her car that said 4.30, and I almost threw up in my mouth. <laughs> I just don't like it. I just don't like it. Can we all just agree that we're just going to keep our clocks like this from now on? <laughs> the, rest, the rest of Wyoming can do whatever they want to. Wind River Community Church, we're on our own time now. Okay? When, when you think about your life, though, there are things about life that we all have to deal with. And, I, and I, I think that we're probably all pretty similar in our thought process because when we're younger, we have um, dreams about what our life is going to be like when we get older. We, we, we have desires that well up inside of us and, and expectations of how it's all going to turn out. And so we might even be thinking about our career, our job, or whatever we're doing, and how as we move along in that area of work and establishing ourselves, maybe getting more education and just becoming um, a, a person well-rounded in their career, that we would see ourselves with a little bit better financial abilities down our career path. We, we might even dream about what our life as a married person would look like, that we've got an idea of what our spouse would look like and, and you know, the seven little kids that we'd have at our house with a white electric fence around it to keep the kids in. <laughs> you know, we, we have this dream of what it's all going to look like and, 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 and we just expect it all, all to come true and then all of a sudden life happens. And our job isn't nearly what we thought it was going to be. Matter of fact, you've probably thought four or five or a dozen times changing your career because this one's just not working out for you. Then, then you think about your spouse and, and that special guy that you married and, and you had this vision of what he was going to look like and hasn't turned out anything like it. You, you, you've married this guy and you thought you married James Bond, but instead you ended up with Homer Simpson. 
And, and you guys are going like, when I met my wife, she had the characteristics of Mary, the mother of Jesus. And I just found out she's Cruella DeVille. And I don't want to say anything because I don't want my eyes gouged out. And I don't want more stitches. So I'll just sit in the corner and eat my dozen donuts in silence. It's not quite what we thought it was going to be. We, we had this dream about what our kids were going to be like. Of course, our kids are going to be the smartest, the brightest, uh, the best athletes. They're going to be the mo- most polite kids. Everybody in town is going to come and say, your kids are so wonderful. And then we realize that the people that are coming to talk to us about our kids are the police and the principals. <laughs> and we're wondering, whatever happened to this dream that I had about my family being so perfect, being this great family, and it, the all-American family. And so all those things, all those expectations, all those dreams, everything that we had, we, we had these lofty ideas that they were going to be here But when reality came along, reality came in somewhere down here. And so what happens is when reality's here and our dream was up here, that's the room of disappointment. And that room of disappointment is often filled with unmet expectations that we have, not just for ourselves, but for our spouse, for our family. We have unmet expectations even in regards to our, our spiritual growth and how we know God, or what we expected God to be like for us. So we've got all those things going on, and we come to it, and we're just kind of at a point in life where we go, maybe if I could just experience three or four moments in my entire life uh, of joy and contentment, I think I could be good with that. And that's where we want to go with it. And we just don't understand why life is the way it is with unmet expectations leaving us the way they do. And then all of a sudden one day we decide to flip open the Bible and you take and you point and next thing you know you've got Proverbs 13, verse 12, looking you right in the face. It says, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. And all of a sudden you're like, the word of God really is true. It really manifests its life to me because those things that I hoped for that didn't come about, I just kind of feel ucky. I don't know if that's a real word, but it's, you know, look it up in Webster's. You just don't, you just like, ugh. But then you get those moments where that, that one little dream that you were hoping would come true, that thing that you thought about, all of a sudden, boom, it became a reality. And you stood a little bit taller, and all of a sudden you realized, life isn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. So we have all those things going on in our lives. We have all those expectations that are unmet. And so this morning, we're going to be looking in John's Gospel at one of my favorite stories in there because it's about a, a, it looks like a chance meeting between Jesus and a woman who has a life filled with unmet expectations. I think if you were to sit down and talk with this woman, that's what she would say. 
is that I have some expectations in my life that were absolutely just devastating to me. They were, they, they were never met. And, and, and the problem behind that is, is that I was the author of some of those things. I made a mess of my life. Uh, there were expectations that I had in relationships that never materialized. I had expectations in my community that really didn't happen, and it really has devastated me. And I even had expectations of God. And what I've experienced of God is nothing like what I expected. And so here's this woman who's going to meet with Jesus. Now I want to remind you about John's gospel because there's one word that arches from beginning to the end of John's gospel. It's the theme word. And, and you can, you'll find it. He uses this word more than any other author in the Bible. And that word is believe. Matter of fact, he starts in his gospel off, John does, in verse 12, chapter 1, verse 12, and he says, but to all who believe in him, accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. That's how he starts his gospel off in talking about Jesus. And then at the end of his gospel, this is how he finishes it. He said, but these are written, that's the gospel, so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in Him, you will have life by the power of His name. You see, that's, that's, it's not bookends in John's Gospel about belief. It's the thread that runs through the whole thing. So when we come to this chapter today, chapter 4, and we're looking at this this story, you might even know this story. It's called The Woman at the Well. This story about this woman who comes to this well, comes to meet Jesus. She thinks it's a chance meeting. But the whole purpose of this is so that, that she has this thing where she comes in, she meets Jesus, and Jesus says, you need to believe. I could stop right there and say, okay, let's pray and go home. But I want to give you the meat of it all. I don't want to just give you the one word because she has some expectations in her life that just didn't materialize. She had, she had dreams that she thought was going to, to come to fruition and they just fell apart at her feet. And, and I, had a, I, I see this woman as coming and having her life utterly and completely transformed by this chance meeting with Jesus. And that's my prayer for you this morning. When I was praying for, you, for whoever would come today, as I walked through the building praying, my prayer was, God, would you please utterly and completely transform every person's life that comes in here? Jesus, would you meet every person that comes into this building today? Would you meet them in a new and a fresh way? Because that's, that's our number one thing, is that you would connect with Jesus either for the first time or for a lifetime. And so that's my prayer for you. And it, no matter where you're at in your faith journey, Jesus' words remain incredibly, incredibly relevant to our lives. Times change, but the human heart remains the same. We have the same hopes and fears, dreams and doubts. We struggle with the, the same problems uncontrollable anger, foolish choices, misplaced priorities, 
hypocrisy, guilt, indifference, frivolous curiosity, misguided ambition, limited faith, convenient excuses, nagging doubt, compulsive busyness, broken dreams, and personal failures. They all seem to keep coming back to us and making our life different than what we thought it would be. So this morning, the story of Jesus and the woman at the well, it may be familiar, but there are still truths in there that are applicable to our lives, to my life. And as it's just a simple story, but yet it is so profound because it's really like this. It's a story of a man who meets a woman in a seemingly uh, chance encounter. A A few brief moments with her and her life is changed forever. So let me pick up the story and give you the background before we get to some of the verses that you'll see on the screen. Jesus and his disciples have just finished a time in Jerusalem. They were at the temple in the Passover. Uh, Jesus had cleared the temple. They were at the Jordan River, and Jesus and his disciples were baptizing, and John the Baptist was baptizing, and John the Baptist made that incredible statement that Jesus must increase and I must decrease because Jesus is far more important than I'll ever be. And then after that, the the religious leaders saw that Jesus was baptizing people, and it really wasn't Jesus, it was his disciples. So Jesus said to his disciples, let's go back to Galilee. And he said, okay, let's go. So they they hit the trail early in the morning, and they're they're headed on their way back to Galilee, which is where the Sea of Galilee is. Capernaum uh, is the area, and that's where Jesus... His main ministry is he goes back and forth to Jerusalem. But in order to get back to Galilee, he has to go through this this territory called Samaria. And Jews and Samaritans are not friends. They, They have a disdain for each other. They don't like each other. And I can't even express to you in church how much they don't like each other. But I'll give you a picture. It's how much the Ukrainians like the Russians right now. It'd be like the Palestinians and the Israelis and their not-so-lovely relationship. If you get that in your mind, that's the picture between a Jew and a Samaritan. They despise each other. They don't like each other. And so that's, that's where we're at, and that's what we have going on. And, and And it's hard for us to get our head around it, but that's what it looks like. So when we get back to our story, if there's that much animosity between the Jews and the Samaritans, why would Jesus go through Samaria in order to get back to his place in Galilee? He could have, uh, most Jews would do this. Instead of going from Jerusalem straight north, they go, they would go, Uh, west a little bit and they go on the other side of the Jordan River then they go up then they cross back over the Jordan River to get back to where they are because they don't want to go through Samaria so why did Jesus go through Samaria the answer is simple and it's profound Jesus went because he intended to meet this woman at the well 
he knew that when he was there, she would show up. And so he goes. So they, the disciples and Jesus, they're walking. It comes to noon. The, the disciples, they're always hungry. And so they go, hey, we need to stop and get some food. And Jesus goes, well, okay, you guys go into town. I'm going to sit here at Jacob's well. And it had a little ledge on it, probably two and a half feet tall, rock edge with a little lip on it. Jesus sat there, probably exhausted from his, his walk. It's hot out. And he probably needed a little silence because you have Peter and John and James and Andrew and they're doing this the whole time. It's, you know, it's like when you get those middle school kids in the back of your van and you're just going like, please Jesus, take my hearing away right now. And then you go like, no, no, I'm just kidding. Don't do that, Jesus. So Jesus wanted a little break from the disciples. It's about a, the, the, the town's called Sychar. And so it's about a half a mile away from the well. The well is a half a mile away from town. And, and so the disciples head into town. Jesus is sitting on the ledge of the well, and he's sitting there waiting when this woman from Sychar comes out with all of her containers that she's going to fill to take with the water back in for her daily need. Here's the only problem with that, is that she comes out at noon. All the rest of the women of the town, they come out either early in the morning or they come out in the evening. This, this is a social event. All these women are coming out together and they're going to spend time at the well and they're, going to, they're just going to do stuff together. You know what I mean by that, right? Because it's like when one of you ladies decides it's time to go to the bathroom... All of you go. You have a convention in the bathroom. It's a mystery to us guys, but all, you all go together, and you're in there, and then you come back out like nothing ever. I mean, you just did whatever you had to do, but it's amazing. That bathroom is only meant to have like five or six people, and you can get 46 of you in there all at one time. <laughs> we don't know how that happens, but it does. And so that's, it's a social event. And so the women at Sychar, they're going out, but yet this woman doesn't go with them. She goes at the worst time of day. She goes when nobody else will be at the well. She goes because she knows that the, the, the stigma that is, comes with who she is. And the thing that is amazing to her is when she gets to the well, there's a Jewish man sitting at the well. Totally unexpected that she would run into a man at the well. And, and she's just, she's a little bit confused by it because what, what are you doing here and where are you going? I'm sure she had all kinds of questions. And when she comes and she, and by the way, Jacob's well is about 150 feet deep. And so she, there's a long rope and a bucket and you throw it down, you bring your own. Your own. And you throw it down there, and you pull it up, and you fill up your containers. And she's there, and Jesus says to her, Would you please get me a drink of water? And she's like, What? Because, first of all, there's, there's two issues that Jesus is, is dealing with. It's a racial issue. Because the Jews hate Samaritans so much they won't even ask them 
Yeah, I mean, if they needed a band-aid because they're gonna, or a tourniquet, they would rather bleed to death than ask a Samaritan to help them. And so she's like, I'm a Samaritan, and you're asking me for a drink. And by the way, the utensils Jesus would drink out of, all the rest of the Jewish people would say that these utensils are unclean, contaminated, because they belong to a Samaritan. And, and, and then the, the second problem that they're facing is she's a woman and he's a man. In that culture, men never talked to a woman in public, especially one that wasn't related to them. If they're a small child, yes, they rarely would talk to their own wives in public. And so Jesus, he breaks all of the cultural norms, racial and gender issues. Jesus just dispels them right there and says, I need a drink of water. And, and it's really interesting is that he knows that he's thirsty and needs a drink, and she has what she can give him is a drink. But he also knows that she needs something. He was thirsty and knew it. She was thirsty and didn't know it. And so when the woman did come to the well, and she didn't come seeking Jesus, but Jesus was there waiting for her because he knew she was going to come. And so in his approach, what he did is he reveals his great heart for lost people. doesn't matter who they are. He doesn't care where you come from. He doesn't care what you've done. He doesn't care what your past is. He doesn't care anything about you except for the fact that you need him. That's what happens. That's what, the, that's what happens if the, Jesus comes into our lives. Matter of fact, in Luke chapter 19, Jesus tells us, or Luke tells us that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. This woman was lost. She didn't know she was lost. And, and what John 4, this whole story tells us, is about God's sovereign grace in, in finding lost people. That's what he wants to do. And Jesus found her. She didn't find him. And that's the same. That, that's true for us. You can never know Christ until Christ has come to you. I want you to get that. You didn't go and find Jesus. Jesus came and found you, and you answered his call for your life. Now, rightly so, this woman is a little bit confused about this chance meeting with this guy at the well. And so when, when he says to her, would you please give me a drink? She said back to him, she says, uh, you're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? She's not really sure what Jesus' motivation is to get a drink from her. He th she's got things going on up here that she thinks there are some ulterior motives behind his question for water. And then you look at verse 10, and here's what Jesus said back to her. He answered to her and said, If you knew the gift of God... And who it was or who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now, 
when he says living water, he threw a curveball at her. She's like, living, living water, because that phrase can actually be translated running water. When you take it right out of the Greek translation, it actually could be translated running water. So in her mind, she's thinking like, this guy is going to pipe water to my house for me. I'm going to have the first running water in all of Samaria. Wait a minute. He doesn't, know how, he doesn't even know how to do that. So she's confused and wants to know how he is going to give her anything when he doesn't even have the ability to get a drink himself. How are you going to give me living water, water, when you can't even, you have to ask me for the drink. You have to ask me to give you water. This, in essence, is what he's saying to the, to the lady. You came here for water, but I've got water that you've never dreamed of before. He's leading her through this step of coming to saving faith in him. He first leads her to see that she has a need, and then he reveals who he is. Then he offers her something that could change her life forever. He's not offering to quench her thirst, what he's offering to do is to banish it once and for all. And this is what we would call a teachable moment. And I'm struck by the fact that Jesus kept, keeps coming back to the central theme with this woman is if you knew who I was. If you had any idea who I was and what I could do for you, here's what he would do. So when Jesus uses the term living water, she's her curiosity is peaking. She's wondering, what are you talking about when you mean living water? And Jesus has a, a two-fold process or meaning within living water. The first one is, is what Jesus is telling her is, I am living water. And if you want your life transformed, if you want to have a changed life, if you want to know what it's like to have God in your life, you know that unmet expectation spiritually that you've had before in your life and you're wondering why it is that you can't connect with God? The reason you can't connect with God is because you don't have living water in your life. That's the first one. It's this saving knowledge, the saving grace of Jesus in your life that bubbles up and creates this living water. And it's Jesus. But the second meaning behind it is that it's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit who comes and resides in our life. When you, you have, in order to have the Holy Spirit, you have to come to faith in Christ first. And when you come to faith in Christ first, that God the Father, He deposits the Holy Spirit into your life, sealing your inheritance in heaven of eternal life. And then the Holy Spirit, what He does is for the rest of your life, He's actively involved in growing in your relationship with God. That's what He means when He talks to her about living water. One of the problems that the Samaritans had is they took the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Bible. And then they took some pagan religion and they mingled it together to create their own religion. So the idea that she has about God doesn't include the full story that you have in the Old Testament of God's grace, God's goodness, and God's provision. It's just not there for her. 
And so she has this idea about who God is, but it's never fulfilled for her. And so she missed out on this important fact because in the Old Testament, there's this prophet, his name is Ezekiel. And Ezekiel receives a couple of visions in his time as he's giving a prophetic word to Israel. And in chapter 7, 47 of Ezekiel, he receives another vision from God. And I believe, because it talks about a man who leads him to show him things, I believe that that reference is the reference to the incarnate Christ, the Jesus before he was born of the Virgin Mary, the second person of our, of the triune God, the Son of God, come in the, in the vision and dream to Ezekiel to show him what it is that God has for him. And what he's doing in this dream is he's revealing what living water looks like to Ezekiel. He's, he's actually, Jesus is actually pointing to the future and he's saying to, to Ezekiel, he's going, in the future, this is what it's going to look like. And so in this, it's a vision. And in the vision, it says that, that there's water flowing out of the temple of God. And as water flows out, it, it turns from a stream at the threshold into a river that flows out of the temple of God. And, and the man leads him 1,750 feet out of the doorway of the temple. And he's standing in the river, and it's ankle deep. This is a picture of what it means to step into faith with Jesus. When you come to faith in the living water, Jesus, the Son of God, that's ankle deep. You get into relationship. You're only there ankle deep. You have to start somewhere. So you go ankle deep. The problem is that there are a lot of people who have come to that place in their relationship with Jesus where they've stepped into the river of living water and it is ankle deep and they have found that that's all they want. It's enough to get them into heaven, but that's it. So they splash around and they kick around in the ankle-deep relationship with Jesus. They don't want to go deeper with Jesus. They, they have no idea, but yet they're frustrated with how their spiritual life always seems to be not quite there. I, I know God's there, and I know He's real, and I know He saved me, but my life just seems, my spiritual life is just frustrating. I don't seem to, to get any traction. I don't seem to really know God in a deeper place. That's because they've only chosen to go ankle deep. Then Ezekiel says, Then the man led me another 1,750 feet, and I was knee deep in the river which is a good picture because now you're making progress and you're growing in this relationship with Jesus and you're getting to experience more. And then he says, then the man led me another 1,750 feet and I was waist deep in the river. Here's what happens when you get waist deep in a river. There's current and it's pushing on you. So either you let the current take you or you have to brace yourself to keep from being swept down the river by the current of God. And when you stand and you brace yourself 
waist deep against God. It's not easy because the Holy Spirit is always tugging. He's always pulling at you. He's always telling you there is more for you to experience. I've got so much more for you that you don't know about because you won't let yourself go. You won't roll with me and come to that place where you get to know more of me. And so you know a little bit more about God, but as the Holy Spirit always does, he says to you, I've got more for you. Ezekiel says, Then the man measured off another 1,750 feet, and the river became so deep you could no longer wade in it. You had to swim in it. In other words, this is the moment when you've relinquished control over your entire life from beginning to end. You've relinquished that. You've given it to Jesus. You've said to the Holy Spirit, I'm, I'm going to let go of everything and I'm going to give it to you and I'm going to go where you take me. And then you find out that your life is amazing. That's, that's what Jesus is doing with the woman at the well. I believe that she was dealing with the unmet expectations of her own making. She had only gone ankle deep. I believe that she knew about God, but she didn't understand anything about God. And what Jesus is saying is, I want to take you to a deep place where you find greater meaning in your life, where you experience me at a deeper level than you've ever experienced God. But you've got to let go. In Ezekiel's vision, he also sees what God's going to do once the river of God is released on humanity. That's after the resurrection of Jesus. He says in verses 6 through 9, he says this, Then he, the man, led me back along the riverbank. When I returned, I was surprised by the sight of many trees growing on both sides of the river. Then he said to me, this river flows east through the desert into the valley of the Dead Sea. The waters of the stream will make the salty waters of the Dead Sea fresh and pure. There will be swarms of living things wherever the water uh, of this river flows. Do you see the picture of what he's saying? Is that when the river of God is released into the world, when, when we step into this this relationship with Jesus in a deep and meaningful way, all of a sudden what is happening in our lives is when we turn around and we look, God is producing vegetation that was never there. New life is growing out of my life. New things are happening and it's all new and fresh and I'm looking and God is doing some amazing things and not only that, I had areas in my life that I thought would never be redeemed and God's redeemed them. He's brought life where there was death, and wherever the, the river of God flows, it brings life, teeming with life. Even the salty places where nothing would, where, where, where I thought it was completely given up and would never happen again, God's redeemed it and made it whole. This is the picture Jesus wants the woman to have. It's the picture he wants us to have. That's for us, but, that, but that's not all there is. Because like I said, once you step in with the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit gives you a taste of it, He always says, and there's more. In verse 12 of 
of Ezekiel 47. It says, Fruit trees of all kinds will grow along both sides of the river. The leaves of these trees will never turn brown or fall. And there will, get this, there will always be fruit on their branches. But not only that, there will be a new crop every month. For they are watered by the river flowing from the temple. The fruit will be for food and the leaves for healing. That's the more. Don't you want more? I want more. I know every day I can, I can say to God, I can say, what I experienced yesterday wasn't enough. I want more. If there are gifts that you have that I don't have, I want them. If there's abilities that you can give to me that I don't have, I want them. If there's discernment, I want it. If there's understanding, I need it. If there's knowledge, impart it to me. I want more. But it only comes from the river of, of God, the Holy Spirit, Jesus the Son, the living water. That's where Jesus is taking this woman because there's healing in the leaves. That's not just physical healing, although it is. And by the way, since our 21 days of prayer, I know of at least three people that have experienced healing in this church from 21 days of prayer. Physical healing. I know that there has been spiritual healing. I know that there's been emotional healing. I know that, that, that God is working out spiritual healing for people. So in those leaves, there's all kinds of healing. And God wants you to have it. But it only comes through the living water. Back to John chapter 4, verses 16 and 18. Here's what Jesus said to the woman. Go call your husband and come here. The woman said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands. And the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. Here it is. Here is the, the point that Jesus is going to come to. Now we might think that Jesus is being mean. No, Jesus is not being mean to this woman. Because you, you notice, she's reluctant at giving any detail or talking about it. Bring your husband here so we can have a, co a conversation. <laughs> I don't have a husband. You have five, and you're not married to any one of them. And the guy you're living with right now won't even take you to be his wife. Okay. The words of Jesus are kind of like a verbal slap in the face to this woman. And they almost come across as though they are mean or cruel. But notice, there's no condemnation in the words. What D Jesus is doing is he's revealing to her what her deepest needs are that she's unwilling to talk about. The unmet expectation of relationship. The very thing she's longed for her entire life is to be in relationship with someone who would love her just for who she is. And for whatever reason, each one of her five husbands said, 
you're Cruella DeVille. And I don't want to be married to you anymore. And so they would divorce her five times. And then the man comes along and says, look, I know you need someone to supply food for you. I need someone to sleep in my bed with me. We're not going to get married. But you'll meet my needs, I'll meet your needs. And she says, what do I have to lose? The last five guys that I thought were the guy just kicked me out the door like I didn't belong. So we kind of might think that that's mean or cruel. But what Jesus is doing, he's being like your surgeon. You go in and you see your doctor and he says, you need to go see this guy. You go and you meet with that guy and that guy says to you, um, call your wife and tell her to bring your pajamas down here because you're going into surgery today. We found a tumor and we're going to have to remove it. Is the doctor being mean? No. He's revealing something in you that's going to kill you if you don't deal with it. And so then when he does surgery, it hurts. But that's part of the healing process. It's the same way with Jesus. He's doing surgery on this woman's life. He's doing heart surgery. He's removing the greatest pain of her life that she's ever experienced. It's because the expectation that she had has been unmet and now she's just, she's just existing in life. She's just trying to survive. God never created anybody just to survive. He wants you to thrive. And the only way you thrive is in relationship with Jesus. And the only way you ever thrive in relationship with Jesus is to lay your life bare before him so that he can do heart surgery and repair what's broken. I'm hearing bells. (laughs) Is it just me? I might be stroking out. Somebody help me. You guys heard that too? All right, good. We're all stroking out together. Thank you, Jesus. We all go to... I tell you, they're just time change weekend. Mm. Does Jesus love this woman? You bet he does. He loves her so much he's going to be honest with her. Does Jesus love you? You bet he does. And you know what? This morning he's being honest, really honest with you. You've got, you're you're the woman at the well. You've come this morning and Jesus was sitting here waiting for you. He was waiting for you to come because he knew that there was the, the thing in your life, that one thing that has kept you, that unmet expectation, that desire, that one thing that has just kind of kept you out of the river of God. And this morning, he wants to do for you what he did for her. You know what he did? He gave her freedom. I'm going to explain that more next week. But what what I want you to see is what Jesus does. She is almost, but not quite, saved. She is near the kingdom, but not in the door yet. 
Jesus laid bare what she thought she could keep hidden. There are always, those things that we keep hidden always make sinners uncomfortable when Jesus reveals them. She wanted to change the subject, but Jesus wouldn't let her. He keeps coming back to the primary topic. It's not her life, it's Jesus in her life that changes everything. The woman who spent her life long looking for relationship after relationship that she thought would make her life great, she realized that none of them could do anything for her. And then she meets this man who knows everything about her, all of her flaws, every sin, every weakness, and yet he doesn't condemn her. She feels loved more now than she has ever felt in her entire life. From a man she hardly even knows. He's loved her like she's always wanted to be loved. He's revealed to her who she is without condemnation. And he presents to her what she needs most. Someone who will save her and show her a new life. This woman now is fully known by Jesus. Here's what Jesus does for us. This morning, he's laid bare your stuff. You know, those little hidden things, those things that you, you know, but nobody else knows them. Nobody else knows the thing that I've hidden in my heart. Nobody else knows what it is. I've got it right here. Jesus knows. He's opened up the door. He says, I see that. You're trying to hide it because it's so ugly. But I see it in all of its ugliness. And I love you. I want to I make that whole. That broken thing, I want to make it whole. That thing that's held you back, I want to give you freedom. Anything in your life that, that you think makes you unworthy, Jesus says, I have already made you worthy. Do you know what the living water does? Here's what the living water does. It rushes into the innermost parts of our being, into the darkest places, the most secret places of our life, and it's like he turns on the, the pressure washer. More power! That's the Holy Spirit. And he washes it clean. Do you know how he does it? It comes from an old song. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Isn't that sweet? Greatest news you will ever hear. The greatest thing for your life is the blood of Jesus. That's what we're going to do in just a couple of minutes. We're going to come. We're going to experience the goodness, the wholeness of the blood of Jesus that has cleansed me from all of my unrighteousness and made me Perfect in the sight of God. Whole, completely. So here's the freedom that you need from Jesus. Everything that you need to, to walk in the goodness of God. Here are the words that Jesus gives. And it actually comes from the Old Testament, from Isaiah. And it says, don't be afraid, for I am with you. Don't be discouraged, 
for I am your God. I will strengthen you, and I will help you. I will hold you up by my victorious right hand. That's for you today. That's Jesus' words for your life today. Victorious. He's there. Doesn't matter what it looks like. Doesn't matter what it feels like. Doesn't matter what your past is like. Doesn't matter what your present is like. Doesn't matter what's going on in your life right now. Jesus says, let me make it clean. Let me make it whole. Let me bring healing to your life. That's all it is. That's what Jesus wants to do. So, how do we do it? We simply ask him. And he will do it. The Bible tells us you have not because you ask not. Ask that your joy may be complete. So that's what we're going to do right now. We're going to ask Jesus to bring healing to our lives. Worship team can come. I'm going to lead you in prayer. I want you to pray. We're just going to have a couple seconds of, of silence where you're praying, you're asking God. So let's just turn our hearts towards God. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Let's just put ourselves in this this place now because we've asked God to come. We've asked him to do something. We've asked him to make things right. And in the quietness now, that thing that you need Jesus to take care of, that thing that has haunted you your entire life, that thing that you've never dealt with, that broken relationship, that bad attitude, that unforgiving spirit, the bitterness, the anger, the resentment, Maybe you have something that so, you feel is so dark and deep that you don't even want to express it. Jesus knows about it. Even if it's a hidden addiction, release it to Jesus. Ask him to forgive you. Ask him to make it whole. Do that right now. And Jesus, this morning we thank you because just like the woman at the well, you were sitting right here waiting for us this morning. You're sitting and you are revealing every hidden thing about us, everything that, that we don't want anybody else to know. They don't have to know, but you already know. And here's the good news. You love us anyway. In spite of it, you love us. So, where we need you to come and heal, where we need you to cleanse, where do we need you to forgive, where we need you to make whole, we ask in your great name, by the power of your great name, that you would do a mighty work in our life, that you would utterly and completely transform our lives right now so that as we come to the table, this table that you've prepared for us in the presence of our enemies, the, the cup that represents your blood, and the, the bread that represents your body that was given for us so that we could know this moment of freedom. We pray that you would take it. Take all those things at the foot of the cross and deal with them because you will, you will bring grace and mercy and healing and you will turn our sorrow into joy. You will take the disgrace of our life and, and bring grace to it. And the place where we have withheld mercy from ourselves, you will extend mercy to us. So this morning, we praise you for that. We pray that your name would be great in our lives. Make us whole again, we pray in your great name, Jesus. Amen.